This episode is brought to you by Messer Workflow Automation. Messer is the only automation platform that enables Shopify and Shopify merchants to create workflows that automatically carry out repetitive tasks and allow merchants focus on their business. Nowadays on Instagram and Facebook, there's an autofill button so you can just put it in immediately. We feel like that is not as engaging as a landing page. So we feel the more traditional landing page approach actually has a much better conversion rate in terms of converting to a sale. Sometimes we like to focus on the founders during the campaign. Uh, I think that's always a really, really positive approach because essentially when you're talking about early stage products, I feel like people still in their essence of psychology like to invest in people more than in brands. The game has definitely changed with PR. It's still highly relevant, but it has changed. And that is a pay-to-play model for a lot of these publications, especially the ones that encompass their Instagram following, encompass their newsletter following, encompass different elements of their of their offering. So on this episode, we're going to be talking about engineering crowdfunding success and beyond. It's a great episode you don't want to miss, so do stay tuned. Retail and e-commerce have witnessed an unprecedented transformation in the last decade. The widespread adoption of mobile technology, social media, as well as the lowered cost of cloud-based technology have not only eroded the barriers to entry in retail, but it's also led to the rapid rise and dominance of digital native product brands that sell directly to their customers. On this podcast, you'll get the scoop on customer acquisition and retention strategies employed by high-growth digital-native product brands. Not being afraid to spend because you know that customer is going to pay it back uh, three or four-fold. That's when you start to unlock channels in the way that they were meant to be used. And Listen to interviews with experts at the forefront of technology and innovation in digital retail. Three years ago, they wouldn't have come to us because, yeah, the macro trend of cloud, Wi-Fi, broadband availability, that was a real, that was a real problem. Hear firsthand stories from founders of innovative direct-to-consumer brands. Although I was thinking about the competition, I was more thinking about, like, how do I just build a freaking successful business? We focus on driving as much traffic as possible, converting that traffic, uh, and then dumping money back into driving more traffic. These insights will help you consistently 2x growth in specific areas of your direct-to-consumer brand. This is the 2x e-commerce podcast, hosted by Kunle Campbell. So welcome, welcome, welcome to the 2X Ecommerce Podcast Show. I'm your host, Kune Campbell. Now, the episode you're about to listen to is an interview I had with Mike Raven. Now, Michael Raven is the founder and CEO of Blazon Agency. They're a UK-based um, agency that focus exclusively on crowdfunding, on launching crowdfunding campaigns. And on this episode, we talk about the life cycle of a crowdfunding campaign from a marketing standpoint to launch and beyond. So when we talk about that, we talk about the pre-launch, which is which tends to be six to eight weeks before the campaign goes live, what happens on the campaign dates going live, and how to run your Shopify store beyond the the, the post-launch you know um, date, whereby you're still collecting pre-orders in your Shopify store. So we talk about, we, it, we go full Monty here. He has incredible experience. He's raised millions and millions of, um, tens of millions of, um, if not hundreds of millions of um, of pounds or, or, or dollars for crowdfunding campaigns through his agency. You could check their website out, blazingagency.com. He specifically said he doesn't really want to talk about his clients, but they're on his website. Um, whether it's for corporates, you know, trying to, you know, um, do R&D or for um, fresh D2C, you know, businesses, he knows the deal. He he pretty much, um, you know, is on top of his game there. Now, they're very European focused, um, just to, to take note of that. Um, and um, they're, they're, they're unashamedly, you know, European focus. So whether you're in UK or um, the rest of Europe, or the rest of Europe, you know, um, Blazing Agency actually just covers that to you quite specifically for launching and testing, you know, new product launches through um, crowdfunding campaigns. Right. So, so that really is the episode. Um, remember that this is, you know, the podcast. I just want to reiterate because I didn't really put an intro in, 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 um, for this episode, this is the podcast 
where you learn how to, you know, um, you learn strategies that would help you sell more. That's my promise. So if you're looking to grow, you know, metrics, you know, such as average order value, traffic, your audience size, um, and ultimately conversions. This is this is this is the the podcast to 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 um to to listen to. Essentially, where where you know two X e commerce, and we're all about you know growing metrics, specific metrics, um two X and specific metrics within your e commerce you know business. I just found this particular episode you know really 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 interesting. Um, I like his methodology from clicks to conversions through the pre. Well, well, you you listen to it. It's it's a brilliant episode. I, I don't want to say too much. Um, so so stay tuned and um, enjoy this episode. Before I let you go, though, um, if you haven't already um, subscribed to this podcast on your favorite um you know podcast and platform, um, be it Spotify, be it iTunes, be it um you know Google Podcast or whatever you know podcast um you 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 tend to to listen to 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 this um you know show on. Just enjoy, enjoy, enjoy. And you know if if you're on iTunes, um leave us a review, you know, whatever country you're, you're at, um, definitely leave us a review. And um, if you haven't already, you know, um, subscribe to our, our YouTube channel. Um, we, 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 we love subscriptions. Um, there's some visual elements to this podcast, which um, you can only enjoy on the YouTube channel. So I encourage you to just hit hit the subscribe button and, um, you know, just, it doesn't really cost you much. Um, so if you're enjoying the audio, join us on, on YouTube, you know, every now and then you, you will catch some conversations up, you know, on the YouTube channel. Um, so, so that's it for now. Um, just a shout out to our sponsors, um, Clavio, number one, um, for email marketing in the e-commerce space, rewind number one, um, for, for backup solutions on, on, on Shopify or big commerce famous number, arguably number one for um, just creating just the most engaging, um, you know, um, mobile experiences for product launches and Shipbob world-class um, 3PL, um, you know, solution. Um, that's it for me. Enjoy, enjoy this conversation. If like you are, you really want to get the method to effectively launching a crowdfunding campaign from a marketing standpoint. For me, I'll just say, Bye-bye for now and I shall catch you on the other side. Thank you for listening and, you know, enjoy what you're about to listen to. The 2X e-commerce podcast is brought to you by Clavio, the ultimate e-commerce marketing platform for email and SMS messaging. Whether you're launching your e-commerce business or taking your brand to the next level, Clavio gives you the tools to get growing faster. That is why it's trusted by over 50,000 e-commerce brands like Brooklinen, None and choppies. Build your contact list, send emails that pop, and create marketing moments that build valuable customer relationships over any distance. Get started for free today. Visit clavio.com forward slash 2x to create your free account. That is K L A V I Y O.com forward slash 2x. ShipBob is the global fulfillment leader for e-commerce brands like you. They've actually just launched their first UK fulfillment center, which is quite close to me here in London. This gives ShipBob's clients access to e-commerce markets in the US, Canada, and now Europe. ShipBob offers direct integration to merchants running on Shopify, Wix, BigCommerce, WooCommerce, Amazon, eBay, and Walmart. This quote from their site, from Courtney Lee, the founder of Primo Coffee, really stood out for me. She said, I felt like I couldn't grow until I moved to ShipBob. And my CPA accountant even said to me, thank God you switched to ShipBob. I mean, who gets compliments from their accountant? Fulfillment is incredibly time intensive, so hand it over to the best of the best for fast and affordable shipping. To get $500 in free shipping credits today, head over to shipbob.com forward slash 2x. That is S-H-I-P-B-O-B.com forward slash 2x. So welcome to the show, Michael. Um, Could you introduce yourself, please? Thank you, Kenley. Thank you for having me. Um, yeah, my name is Michael Raven. I'm the founder and managing director of Blazon Agency. So our tagline is the brand launch agency. And that's because we are a full stack digital agency focusing on the very early launch phase of products. 
So our predominant focus is consumer products, consumer technology. And with the nature of that agency focus, we're also Europe's leading end-to-end crowdfunding agency. So an agency that covers the whole end-to-end flow of a crowdfunding campaign. Um, We are experts with Indiegogo and Kickstarter, registered experts, as well as Crowdcube and Cedars and Shopify. Um, And then some of our other really interesting focuses are on direct consumer uh, sustainability and, and yeah, really interesting topics like that. Just full circle, pre, pre-launcher, pre-campaign, launching a product to market. And then, you know, you, you, you also have ex- experience with Shopify. Exactly. Taking that whole kind of, uh, that whole kind of first couple of years, um, essentially that a product has really from the ideation phase, from the real inception phase, all the way through the crowdfunding phase, which we think is a very, very important kind of element these days for consumer products, all the way through to the post-campaign phase, which is the little bit between going to Shopify or going to any e-commerce. And then obviously the the phase where we hand the client off to other agencies, which is generally the phase where they go to retail, go to Amazon and really do that that large scale scale up, which is something that we, again, are not experts in. And so we kind of hand it off to a much better expert after Mm -hmm. that kind of one or two year cycle that we we have. Mm -hmm. This double barrel question I have. Um, First is what products are right for crowdfunding? And second is, um, are you seeing trends where existing D2C businesses are tapping into crowdfunding for just insights into, for testing essentially, you know, their products and, you know, um, taking it to market to fresh markets rather than their existing, you know, customers? Yeah, absolutely. So when, you know, I addressed the first question around uh, which kind of products are correct for crowdfunding, I think it's a really interesting one. And it's something that we get quite a lot, obviously, as an agency that that has, you know, a, a kind of quite big exposure. Um, we do collect a lot of leads from a lot of, uh, you know, people who are, who are really wanting to go on crowdfunding or wanting to go the, down the D2C route. Or, or, of course, these days with the whole pandemic, they, they just want to actually launch a new company. They want to launch a startup. Mm-hmm. And they want to do it in the consumer product, consumer technology, FMCG space. Um, and, yeah, there's not every campaign that we can say, you know, oh, yeah, crowdfunding is going to be great for you. You're going to raise a million dollars on Kickstarter and it's all going to be, uh, it's all going to be amazing. Um, there are certain criteria for crowdfunding that that work better than others. And so what we always try and say, and this is our kind of focus as an agency as well, is that we always want products that are a world first. So they have a world first element to them, whether it's, Mm. you know, in the materials, in their approach, in their features, in the overall product, in the overall market, and just something that is unique and something that has not been done before. Because essentially, if you have a product that you can buy on Amazon, that you can buy in a store, that you can buy on retail, um, that's not really going to be applicable to an audience of Kickstarter Indiegogo uh, buyers and consumers that mainly focus around early stage products that focus on products that are really cool, really unique that they can't buy anywhere else because that's what the kind of audience likes. So with those kind of products in mind, um, you know, we have some examples uh, of products that you know, have brand new fibers like sneakers made out of, uh, of new renewable materials. This kind of sustainability angle is something that is really unique or Again, products that just have a completely brand new approach um, within in gaming or consumer economics or consumer technology. So that's kind of where we kind of differentiate between is a product right for crowdfunding or, you know, should you just take it directly to the D2C route? And of course, then you have the further products, which are just, you know, white labels, kind of resell stuff, which is, again, never really going to work on crowdfunding because mm-hmm. people just can buy it direct from Amazon. So they don't really need to go down that route. So I think when, when taking that into mind, you know, there are, Obviously, products that stand out where we see early stage and products that just completely we, we, we just don't touch that should just really, you know, launch on Shopify or launch on Amazon or, or, you know, again, many of these products already have competitors that already do tens of millions in sales every year. And so getting a foothold on any kind of audience is going to be a hard one. But, um, but yeah. So into the, uh, into the, you know, the, the next question around the, um, sorry, what was the next question actually? It's around, D2C businesses, e-commerce, established businesses in general, um, tapping into crowdfunding, whether you're, you're seeing more of that in, in the space, um, just to, to, to launch or pre-launch, you know, products, are they, um, you know, using crowdfunding? Yeah, absolutely. So, so when it comes to these types of, uh, companies that have a bit more traction in the market, and we are seeing a lot of companies that maybe haven't gone down crowdfunding on the first iteration of their product or their first 
product line, um, but then they're looking at crowdfunding for their, their second launch because maybe they've done a, a first e-commerce launch and maybe they've done it within a geographical area, like they've launched in the UK quite successfully, but they want to scale globally. And to scale globally, scale to the US, to scale uh, through Europe and Asia is, you know, it's, it's going to take quite quite a big a, a big approach when it comes to just traditional e-commerce, especially if you're not on, um, you know, the global FBA Amazon or, or any of these other channels. So crowdfunding is a great route to directly, you know, market your product to a global audience, whether it's a fresh product or whether it's a pre-existing brand. So when you take that into consideration, you know, crowdfunding does become a really attractive uh, offering. And of course, we do see a lot of companies that have, you know, done quite well in, in in their traditional e-commerce approaches, but then they've you know managed to really, you know, five or ten X their their kind of sales within the first couple of months by by using crowdfunding. So that we are seeing more companies come around to the idea of crowdfunding as a route to market, not just for early stage products, but also for more existing products. So another interesting example of this could be the idea of equity crowdfunding. So a lot of DTC brands, especially in the FMCG space, um, especially in the UK, are looking at uh, Crowdcube and Cedars as their avenue to raise equity and retain equity within their crowd. And so getting passionate users of their products to actually invest and to actually hold a piece of the company. We're seeing this a lot in the sustainability angles on the kind of vegan food angles and just fresh, new, interesting products. So there's always that line between products that are right for Kickstarter and Indiegogo, the reward-based crowdfunding, and products that are right for equity crowdfunding. And so equity and stuff is more around the fast-moving consumer goods, around the kind of food and drink angles, whereas Kickstarter and Indiegogo are more suited towards consumer products, consumer electronics, kind of single items, rather than a, a kind of more varied kind of uh, catalog of, of products. But but yeah, another really interesting angle, and this is interesting for us as well as an agency, something that we've been experimenting with over the past four years, is bringing in much more established brands. So SME all the way up to actually corporate brands to actually mm. run their R&D innovations through the crowdfunding model. And so that mm. has been a really, really fruitful exercise for a lot of corporates. Uh, again, in my, in my mind, it's a very early stage um, part of the, the process for, for, for corporates, but it's something that we're very passionate about as an agency. And we've been really pushing uh, as a really, really great output. So, when we talk about corporates, uh, as an essence, they have these R&D departments, these innovation departments that they're spending you know, tens of millions on per year. Um, these are big, big corporates around the world. Um, and the traditional route would be, obviously, to, to do some user testing you know, with a very, very small group of people, maybe some expanded testing by going into localized stores, localized retail, localized supermarkets, whatever it may be. Again, geographically constrained to, to a single country. Um, um, and there are obviously more interesting ways to do this online nowadays. So setting up this kind of model and integrating it into the crowdfunding model is kind of like almost like a marriage made in heaven. It's, it's, it's like a perfect match because you can run what we call the pre-campaign phase where we kind of collect leads, where we collect different types of data and different type of customers by running pre-campaign advertising on Instagram and Facebook with different uh, types of content, different imagery, different video clips, and different landing pages that we can A-B test to collect leads, to collect and build an audience, to build a customer base before the campaign even launches. And in essence, that's pretty much a dream for any corporate innovation and, and, and kind of corporate R&D department to actually have the ability to run different iterations of products, different imagery, different uh, features to different types of customers all in one umbrella and then launch on crowdfunding which essentially just validates your product so that kind of validation side for corporates is is invaluable and that's something we've seen a lot more of and it, it's bumping up because corporates are understanding that they can spend a few hundred thousand to validate a product rather than mm -hmm. spending tens of millions to roll out a product that at the end of two years they understand is not right for the market people are not interested in this type of uh, approach and obviously they've you know not wasted, but they, they definitely learned an expensive lesson versus mm. crowdfunding, which could have taught them a very, very cheap lesson. Mm. There's this brand unconscious, you know, bias where when, you know, certain group of consumers see, you know, a, a well-known brand, you know, on a, on a product, they think or feel its quality. Um, so do, do when brands, you know, run this test, you know, you know, do the R and D through crowdfunding, are they discreet with um, with the brands on there, or do they, you know, slap on their brand to just for recognition, for instance, recognition? What what is the typical approach? 
Yeah, I, I think there's there's definitely two uh, two angles to this, and I think there's you know these kind of thoughts are, are definitely running through the minds of the R and D and innovation and PR and trust and safety, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, departments of all these corporates. It's like you know, do we go down the route of hiding our product under the guise of another name, which is absolutely done time and time again. Um, you even see this in the DTC Shopify world, where you know campaigns will uh, companies will build out a huge campaign under the guise of another product name. But, you know, if you look very, very carefully into the into the underlying uh, company, there, there is a corporate there that is testing. Um, it's the same with crowdfunding. There's a lot of products that will have a completely different name, um, look like a, a startup. Because if you build something that looks like a startup, you can really, really test the audience. You don't have the, mm. you know, the backup, uh, the experience, and, and obviously the tag of, of, of a corporate there that's going to maybe, you know, draw, draw, draw people in. You have just a product that's completely not white label, but of course it's like, you know, it's labeled under something completely different that can, again, maybe even uh, be more applicable to an audience. And so a corporate could then, you know, run out a sustainable uh, brand that focuses on sustainability and not have the corporate name to it, which is, again, something that, you know, we've done as an agency uh, and, and, and we've seen time and time again be, be, being done. And it's, it's a really interesting one. So there are those trust elements of having a, a big brand on the, the, the campaign, but there are also, you know, positives to just hiding it under under something completely different. And I think that's mm. a really interesting approach. Uh, and I think, you know, corporates are doing this a lot more than people realize, essentially. Mm-hmm. So circling back to your first, to, to the first question you answered, which was, you know, around, you know, the, the right products, you know, for crowdfunding, um, from your answer, I just picked up the fact that, you know, every product that um, should launch on, on a crowdfunding platform, such as Indiegogo and Kickstarter, must have a sliver of innovation. And what I found very interesting, what you said, which I didn't even realize, was the, the equity-based um, crowdfunding platforms, which are exclusive mm-hmm. to the UK and Europe, Cedar and um, I think Crowdcube, you mentioned, yeah, exactly, um, yeah. are very biased towards CPG products. I didn't even know that. So, so thanks for pointing that out. Mm-hmm. My question has to do with um, with the the right steps. So um, when... So let's say now we, we, we created a product which, you know, um, we, we know is innovative and it's in, you know, in, in, in a certain respect, whether it's functionally innovative or, um, materially innovative from a sustainable angle, it, it's different. It's, you know, it's unique in the marketplace and it should, you know, own a space in its niche. Um, how, when do you start thinking about marketing? When do when should founders start, um, you know, speaking to, 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 to agencies or people as yourselves in order to just stack the the potential of success you know in their favor um what's the play what are the steps the you know the 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 accurate steps you know or logical steps to to towards um you know actually getting marketing right once you know um you know innovation has been secured in 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 a product yeah, absolutely. And it's not always that innovation has been secured as, as well. You know, there are products that come to us at a very early stage, but we just think that it's not right for crowdfunding or, or just not right for anything. I mean, there are innovations out there which just don't make any sense and is probably not of a market. But um, but yeah, I would say always as early as possible, you know, even one year before, you know, we have, we have companies coming to us and saying, we're developing a product, we have a product development. Uh, kind of arm we, we're going to do something interesting we're going to build a prototype you know when we get down to the actual uh, fundraising side you know can you help us and so that's great because we can keep checking in every couple of months and understand you know where's the product at and maybe even give a little bit of, of advice and a little bit of a direction there but again it's not really our speciality so where we really sit comfortably within the product life cycle of the launch is about eight weeks before launch we get involved we can spend the time in the pre-campaign phase, this eight weeks is always called the pre-campaign phase, actually building out a landing page, building out an advertising strategy, building out great content, you know, taking what they have or even, you know, giving them, uh, you know, the actual uh, video and uh, photo assets themselves to get it done within our network, um, building out a really great campaign that's going to start testing. So, Again, A-B testing a bunch of landing pages to understand which approach is best, which headline, which features come up first. Is the video really strong? Is the imagery strong? You know, which types of imagery are going to relate best and affiliate best with our audience? And then with the advertising side, you know, we build out a lot of different ad testing across Facebook and Instagram. 
using a lot of different audiences. We start by you know testing a, a wider range, a kind of top of funnel range, and then we kind of narrow it down to say, okay, this type of audience is definitely reacting better than this type because we can see it in the data. We can see that a cost per lead on page is coming down in this type of audience. And so this might be our target for the campaign. Um, and if we see that happening across the board with different audiences, then we built out our audiences. We know exactly what type of consumer is going to end up buying the product when it goes to crowdfunding. So that's where the really you know, interesting data and the really kind of great insights come in, the pre-campaign phase. And building more and more towards the actual launch, we focus more around building you know, out numbers. You know, does the campaign need 10,000 uh, leads to launch because we want to have a successful launch that has a goal of $100,000 uh, in the actual campaign goal versus the actual external goal? So the internal goal is always something that a brand wants to raise. So maybe they want to raise a million dollars, but the external goal that they'll put on Kickstarter or Indiegogo is you know, just 100,000 or even 20,000 or 10,000 just to get mm -hmm. that initial audience in and so we want all those leads to convert in the first few days. And so we run email marketing to really build a connection to the subscriber base, to really understand, you know, if we are putting out newsletters that have different feature types, again, different types of information leaks, maybe the pricing, the launch dates, and maybe even questionnaires and different elements to get people as involved in the product as possible. Because we want people to feel, because they're going on crowdfunding, because they're pledging and putting their money towards a product, that is not even going to be released for the next six months. They have to have a certain passion and, and to get them into the product life cycle, to get them feeling like they're part of it, to get them to say, you know, they, they joined this product at the very pre-campaign phase. They've got these newsletters. They've had the chance to get involved. When the campaign launches, that's when we convert all of these leads and then use retargeting to actually retarget the audiences that we built on the Facebook advertising and the Instagram advertising. And when the campaign launches, then the product lifecycle gets even more interesting because that's where we can go for direct advertising, the retargeting mm. advertising. We can push out new types of content. We can release updates on Kickstarter, which have much more connection to the actual community. They can have mm -hmm. a comment section on Kickstarter or Indiegogo that allows them to actually ask questions directly to the founders where they can answer and they can actually suggest features. And there are other great things in crowdfunding like stretch goals where essentially you say, okay, we're going to launch a new uh, line of colors, maybe four new colors for this product if we get to $100,000. If we get to $200,000, we're going to release a carry bag for X, Y, and Z product. So it's all these little features of crowdfunding that make it so much more interactive, so much more of a community feel, and, and this is so much more beneficial for the early stage of a product, not just for sales, not just for community, but also for really building out uh, that kind of insights that you can then take and have a much stronger product to scale when you go to the DTC, Shopify, and then of course, next level to the retail and Amazon site. You've already got a product that has been built by a community that has a pre-existing community and that you're proven to have a, a, a demand. Let's take this quick break to hear from our sponsors. Let's take a quick break to talk about screwing up. Accidents happen. Perhaps you installed an app that messed up your theme or a CSV import completely messed up your product catalog. Common myth, cloud-based e-commerce platforms like Shopify and BigCommerce have automatic backup solutions you can use when something goes wrong with your store. This is simply untrue. They don't. Myth busted. So what do you do? You use Rewind. Rewind will protect Shopify and BigCommerce stores with automatic backups. Rewind should be the first app you install to protect your store against human error, misbehaving apps, or collaborators gone bad. It's like having your very own magic undo button. Rewind is trusted by over 25,000 businesses from side hustles to the biggest retail brands you can think of. Gymshark, Movement Watches, and Pampers all use Rewind for automatic backups. So here's the deal for 2Xs. If you head over to rewind.io, which is R-E-W-I-N-D.io, install Rewind, you'll get to use it for free for seven days. If you reach out to the Rewind team and mention the 2X e-commerce podcast, then extend your seven-day trial for a full month for free. Enjoy peace of mind with Rewind Backups. Remember to head over to Rewind.io and don't forget to mention the 2X e-commerce podcast for a full month trial. 
Have you noticed that no matter how amazing a product might be, you can always tell when it's being sold on Shopify? So many merchants use the same themes, layouts, and photography, making it easy to spot a Shopify store from a mile away. If you're going to build a fast-growing brand, then that should include using your website to continue that storytelling and give customers an experience that stands out. That's why Famous exists. Famous enables brands on Shopify to easily build beautiful landing pages and product pages that include custom video, animation, and more. All pages built on Famous are optimized for storytelling and selling on desktop and mobile. You can try it for free at famous.co forward slash 2x. That is famous.co forward slash 2x. Attention, e-commerce teams running Shopify. Messa is the easy way to integrate any Shopify store with any e-commerce app or service. Messa is the only automation platform designed exclusively for Shopify and Shopify merchants. By creating workflows that carry out repetitive tasks automatically, merchants can focus on their business and create new customer experiences at scale. Messa has a no-code workflow builder for any action your customers take, such as a new order or product return. Leverage Messa's built-in features to extend your connected apps. Set up email notifications, receive forms, schedule tasks, delay workflows, or even work with files to sync data with your back office systems. Developers love Messer too, since they can lift the hood on any automation to customize them for total control. Even if you're unsure where to start, Messer's library of workflow templates help you get set up quickly with popular tasks common to growing businesses. For free, over the next 14 days, either head over to getmesa.com, that is G-E-T-M-E-S-A dot com, or search for Mesa in the Shopify app store. Their team of automation experts will support you on your journey 24-7. Super, super interesting. There's a lot of flesh out here. I have a, a series of questions. Um, let's mm-hmm. let's get into the pre-campaign landing page you alluded to the fact that you set up um you know um variations of the landing page to understand um which converts better and you know what features actually resonate you know better with with customers and and those can actually be um you know transplanted essentially to the kickstarter or indiegogo you know landing page because you you know they've proven to work pre pre-sale right um, so what kind of conversion rates on the landing page for email collection would you, you know, um, typically see to be a sign of success? Yeah, I think this is definitely down to the actual targeting as well. You know, if we use um, perfect targeting on Facebook and Instagram at a much earlier stage, then the algorithm what, has what a is, chance. What is perfect targeting? Well, I think it's just allowing the algorithm to actually decide for you. So essentially, you know, no human is going to be as intelligent as Facebook's targeting algorithm. That's just mm. a fact. So we can put a, a top of funnel, uh, you know, we, we can understand from the from the brand and from our own expertise what type of audiences we should be targeting, you know. I mean, mm. it's sometimes fairly obvious if we, if we have a product that is, you know, focused around consumer technology, then, of course, we can focus on a consumer tech audience and do lookalike audiences with similar products. Um, it becomes a bit harder when it's a bit more of a broad uh, product that has a bit more of a broad kind of audience. But generally, we always like to say, you know, within the first few weeks, we have enough data that Facebook has learned what type of audience is reacting and they can actually use its own targeting to target that audience. And then through that exercise, we understand also which landing page is what. So, you know, we build out two or three iterations of the landing page and we understand which one is the winner, A, B, or C. And from that, we get a much higher conversion rate. And so when, when campaigns are really going well, we can see a conversion rate of up to 50% on page, which is which is amazing. Because again, we use yeah. tried and tested methods. We use uh, different placements of, of collection boxes. We use very, very simplistic landing pages that just, you know, have the features list, 
have yeah. the great imagery and obviously then have those collection boxes. And so it's very simple for people to just yeah. get involved. There's also lead generation campaigns on Facebook and Instagram where you obviously mm-hmm. click on the ad and you just put your details directly in. And, and nowadays on Instagram and Facebook, there's an autofill button so you can just put it in immediately. But we feel like that is not as engaging as a landing page. So we feel the more traditional landing page approach actually has a much better conversion rate in terms of converting to a sale than these new forms of lead campaign where you can autofill. I think they're better for, you know, for ticketing and other types of things that are a bit more passive. But when you're when you're talking about a product that you're going to, you know, potentially invest a few hundred dollars in or, you know, maybe a bit less, then, of course, you want to feel like you're giving them enough information at the early stage to actually get them to put their details in. Okay. And so, so that's so, kind of where that, that flow comes through. So, so this is eight weeks out, eight, six to eight weeks out. Yeah. Um, so over that period to, 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 towards, um, actually launching the campaign, you know, let's say I've signed up to, 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 to a landing page in my email. How many emails would I expect to, to hear from, from the brand? And, um, you know, what kind of messages would the brand, um, you know, send to me by email now, now that they have a one-to-one, you know, um, just access to, to me, um, just pending, warming me up essentially for, for, for the big, you know, campaign launch date. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, it, it's it starts off around one week, and then and it kind of it kind of drives up a little bit towards the launch. Obviously, when it comes to launch, we do about three in in, in a week, and then you know we do like a few on launch day, um, kind of really you know kind of pushing that launch period because of course it's it's exciting and we want people to feel like they're part of something. So we'll embed a calendar invite. We'll we'll do different things like you know like uh, you know put kind of clock emojis on the uh, on the actual email uh, kind of subject header mm-hmm. and stuff just to kind of get people involved and get people to understand that there's a, a sense of urgency there. I mean, you know, these are again more traditional e-commerce type uh, type approaches and we just apply those to the crowdfunding kind of model which is again something that is embedded within our strategy. So you know a lot of crowd crowdfunding campaigns um feature the founder, you know, as the Yes you know, subject on, on, on the video and the main video, you know, the founder is always kind of like introducing what, what the brand is all about. So with the emails, um, do these emails come from the brand or from the founder? Um, just, just so getting into yeah. sorts of detail. Yeah, absolutely. I think it really depends. Um, sometimes we like to focus on the founders during the campaign. Uh, I think that's always a really, really positive approach because essentially when you're talking about early stage products, I feel like people still in their essence of psychology like to invest in people more than in brands. And so if it's an early stage brand that no one knows about, you know, if it's just a random name with a random logo, you're probably going to be more likely to try and affiliate with the actual founder and the entrepreneurs themselves and say, you know, mm-hmm. I want to support this person or these, this, this group of people or this company rather than I want to support X, Y, and Z brand that they've never heard of because essentially the name is, is, is almost irrelevant at that point. It's more around, mm-hmm. you know, I want to invest in these people that have built a really cool product. I believe in them. I want to be part of it. And also, if you're seeing an email that is, you know, titled from the founder, which we do sometimes, absolutely. Um, And of course, you see them in the video, you see them in the campaign, you see the team photos, you're going to be much more comfortable putting your money and putting your pledge down towards those, those campaigns. And if you're also then asking questions on the comment section, you know, maybe even and asking questions on the email and getting a response directly from the founder, you know, you're going to feel a lot more part of the actual process. And that's where, again, crowdfunding is quite unique and, and, and you know, a bit more open and a bit more connected than traditional e-commerce, which sometimes you just see a Shopify store with a random brand name, a random Instagram ad. And it's, you know, it's, it, it's surprising sometimes how people make any sales from those things because they are competing, you know, they're just a random fashion brand, maybe competing with, you know, a million other fashion brands. They don't have any team section, don't have any connections. So you don't feel emotionally connected to that brand on Instagram or Facebook mm. or, or Shopify, but on crowdfunding, you kind of do feel more connected. And I think that is some part of the reason why, you know, crowdfunding is still you know, the best route for, for pre-launching essentially for consumer products and for consumer electronics. So we've talked a lot about performance, you know, driving performance, you know, just driving, driving traffic via performance marketing through to, to landing pages. Um, I've recalled in the past, you know, um, from previous guests and, um, you know, just firsthand experience about the power of PR. Um, so in 2021 and moving forward, how important is PR as a channel? And are there any other channels um, founders should tap into or marketing teams should tap into um, pre-campaign at the pre-campaign yeah, uh, phase? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. There's, there's absolutely um, still a huge focus on PR. Now, 
PR has changed the game a little bit, especially when it comes to crowdfunding. You know, that crowdfunding is not all kind of uh, positive. Um, I'm sure as you've heard and as a lot of listeners have probably also heard, there are horror stories. There are stories where there's been a, a rug pull, essentially, what we would probably call it, where a campaign has launched, raised a million dollars, and then just disappeared into the ether. Yeah. There's, there's, there's been a few examples. There's a, a smart motorbike helmet from the US where the founder literally just disappeared. And then uh, someone found his um, found his, his, his mansion in Tennessee or something on, 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 on Google Maps. And they're like, look, this guy's just bought like a house with our money, essentially. And they just run off and, and, and not delivered a product. And so there are those negative elements, which, again, has made some large publications a bit more hesitant to actually cover campaigns because they don't want to get dragged into a story saying, you know, um, X, Y, and Z publication published this big article interviewing a founder and, and pushing this product. And then, you know, one year down the line, it's it's been a scam, essentially. So they're a bit more wary. And a lot of uh, publications say we're not going to cover the campaign in its, in its campaign phase. We'll wait for it to go to commerce and so that we'll push it there. Now, there are a lot of other elements which are a bit underhanded within PR these days. There are a lot of publications that are requiring payment. There are a lot of publications that are, that are pushing their social channels, their newsletter channels, and all these other things as a an angle for essentially founders to, to kind of get in. And so it's it's a more evolved scene than it was back in the day. Um, you know, with Blazon Agency, we actually did you know start as a PR agency. So our, our first iteration of the agency was pure PR, it was, it was public relations, it was, it was hustling and getting articles for, for startups and for products. Um, and that's where we learned more about crowdfunding and got into that game. But now it is definitely changing. And some of the bigger publications that have wider reach, and obviously those publications that focus on consumer products, maybe product design that have that kind of nice, shiny kind of feel to them, that have that audience that affiliates with the kind of products that go on Kickstarter and Indiegogo, um, they are now you know asking for, for, for payments these days, which in some ways is bad, but in other ways it actually works in favor because now we can guarantee coverage for some products. And so in the one instance, it's negative and the one instance is positive. So you, know, you can look at it both ways, but the game has definitely changed with PR. It's still highly relevant, but it has changed. And that is a pay-to-play model for a lot of these publications, especially the ones that encompass their Instagram following, encompass mm-hmm. their newsletter following, encompass different elements of their, of their offering. And they're essentially saying, look, you can pay... X, Y, Z for each lead, for each advertising click, but you could also, you know, reach a huge audience with us and just pay this one price. And so it's, yeah, positive and negative, depending on the way you look at it. Um, in terms of other ways to, to promote products, you know, we've always seen a huge positivity within uh, platforms like Reddit, where you can, again, have a community that's waiting and ready to look at products. If you put it in the right way, if you put it in an honest and upfront way that you're there with a new product that you developed as a founder, again, not as just a brand, uh, then you can get great results. You know, you can get amazing results. Mm-hmm. We've seen products that have had, you know, tens of thousands of backers from one Reddit post that we created. Um, mm-hmm. We've also seen products that have had, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars of backers from one article that we bought. Um, and we've also seen campaigns that have raised mil. Well, we've actively <laughs> made campaigns that have raised millions of dollars with no ad spend. And just are, are these the, hustle techniques. Are these from fresh Reddit camp, um, accounts? Because, you know, Reddit users are quite savvy with... They are, um, they are indeed. Yeah, uh, with, normally we yeah, kind sorry. of push... Normally we push the founder's account. Again, we don't like to hide under the guise of of, of these these type of uh, these these type of underhand tactics. We, we like to be much more upfront. And again, we, we go back to your question around, you know, should the founders be front and center of these kind of campaigns? And it's like, yes, they definitely should because they're the ones that are going to be pushing the products and they're the ones, if they, if they do a Reddit post saying, hi, I'm, you know, John from product A, um, I have this cool new product, um, you know, what do you guys think? That's going to be much more accepted into Reddit than, you know, the, the brand name or, or a fresh account mm-hmm. saying, uh, buy this product. Um, so yeah, it's the same with Product Hunter as well. You know, Product Hunter is a huge platform that has great reach mm. and great results. Um, and we like to, you know, uh, either I will post it on my personal account, which has quite a lot of traffic, or you know, we'll, we'll get the founder to actually push it on on their end. And so yeah. that becomes a lot more, again, down that community kind of feel. I caught you shot when you said um, you, you've 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 had campaigns um, that, that that generated millions um, off the back of no paid campaign. Um, yeah. Apologies for for cutting you short, but um, could you expand on that a little bit? Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, um, yeah, the, the, there's been instances of campaigns where we've actually launched with with, with no advertising, with uh, mm. with no approach 
and we've actually managed to make it happen. Uh, again, you know, we're, us as an agency, we get paid sometimes on performance. And so we put a lot into campaigns. And if we see a great product that doesn't necessarily have the advertising budget for, for whichever reason, you know, we'll put in our own effort and we'll make mm-hmm. it happen. And sometimes that really does work because if we know that we're getting, you know, a certain percentage, and of course we can we can afford to to push on these angles ourselves and, and actually kind of pay to play on, on a few of these different elements. And so mm-hmm. there are these really interesting angles there. And of course, you know, throughout our campaign history, we've had a lot of interesting campaigns. We've had a lot of success. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've had a lot of really, really, um, you know, unique ones where, where it has been, uh, you know, the traction has just been, you know, 10 or even more times the, the, than what we expected. And again, this is the the really uh, positive, unique side of crowdfunding. It's like, you know, it can be unpredictable that the audiences are there. If you have a product that is applicable to a wider audience, you know, Kickstarter and Indiegogo can provide that boost, can provide that snowball effect to really push these types of campaigns. And so mm. it's not out of the question to see a campaign, you know, achieving much more that, that, than it would traditionally on, on maybe yeah. another channel. And of course, the price to do that is a lot less. Yeah, and and I think the, the 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 major thing about just crowdfunding is the the reach, you know, the the international reach. It's, yes, exactly. it's just you know, the the world is 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 at your your doorstep, and you know, um, from a fulfillment standpoint, you have the time to to um, deliberately, you know, um, fulfill the orders. You know, um, once you do, through. you do. Uh, but one of the downsides of having that um, that huge geographical reach is that when you look down, as you said, like uh, the CPG products or the FMCG products, mm. they're not as applicable to crowdfunding in its reward sense, in its Kickstarter mm-hmm. Indiegogo sense. Because if you're launching a, a food product, a drink product, a consumer, even sometimes just a traditional kind of FMCG product on Kickstarter Indiegogo, it's hard to be able to ship worldwide with all the regulations and all the kinds mm-hmm. of certification needed. So it's easier to launch those kind of products more locally like you know using crowdcube and, and cedars in the uk and in europe and, and obviously in the us you can use things like WeFunder and, and republic and these other equity crowdfunding platforms um to actually launch those kind of products but what i'm really interested to see is if there's going to be a, a crowdfunding platform for fmcg and cpg products coming out and saying we'll just do a pre-order campaign rather than an equity campaign because i think that is something mm. that is missing from the us and from the uk and, and europe as well i think that's something that will come around at some point uh, soon you know with the whole rise of d2c um products uh, especially yeah, in the us um it's something that's missing and i think for us it's always interesting as well it's like um you know, we are always championing direct-to-consumer in Europe. You know, this kind of more traditional Californian direct-to-consumer products, you know, with like nice flashy landing pages with this kind of like very natural feel and they, they, these really cool products, you know, like whatever they may be, like, you know, alcoholic seltzer or, or whatever. Um, yeah. We're trying to push those kind of angles in the UK and in Europe. Um, and and it's, yeah. a, a, it's, a, it's a massive wave that is just starting. So, you know, these kind of products are something that we're, we're, we're focusing on. And I think it's a really yeah. interesting one. And there's not yeah. many agencies, not yeah. many platforms and not yeah. many people who are riding this wave yet. And I think it's a massively untapped market. And so I think, you know, that would be one of my recommendations for people to go out and, and launch if they, if they, if they had an idea to really push this direct consumer market, because there are people out there who want to consume products in this way. They want to be advertised, uh, you know, a, a box of seltzer products and they want to buy them um, and, and they don't mind paying a lot more than they would at retail. So it's it's, it's, a, it's a massively open market, especially with the pandemic and everyone being at home and, and you know, work from home changing and, and different uh, angles of, 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 of commerce uh, coming out to play. I think there's a massively untapped uh, market there for sure. Absolutely. You know, um, La, La Crocs, I think the, yeah, it, exactly. it's like, yeah. Uh, or hint water that the UK iterations now, but they, yep. they were very slow to the market. Those have they established were. themselves in the States for like five years. And then exactly. all of a sudden Dash is, is here and a few other brands here and, yep. and they're good products. They're, they're, you know, really, really good products and they help you lose weight if you're, you know, into fizzy mm-hmm. drinks. Yeah. Okay. Well, this is an incredible conversation, Michael. I could go on and on and on, but we, we have to, swiftly move into the um the crowd the, the the actual launch you know the launch i really want to sort of get into the mechanics of the launch um so i've heard or i've actually witnessed um you know brands who um, have made it to page one of kickstarter indiegogo and that was massively game-changing do you have any any you know um any, any suggestions or or tips on on how to effectively transition from this pre 
campaign phase to to a position in which um, you know the editorial staff or the algorithms and in, in Kickstarter Indiegogo actually shift your brand to to page one. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there are definitely a number of things that you can do to uh, to boost your chances. So, essentially, as you said, Kickstarter is all based on the algorithm. There is very little um, outside input there, especially from the Kickstarter teams. There are there is one thing that you can get, which is going to change your whole campaign drastically, which is called Projects That We Love. Um, this is a tag that's on Kickstarter. You'll see it on the homepage, and it's basically a product that Kickstarter says, you know, we like this kind of product. Um, again, in Kickstarter's essence, because it is a platform that has a certain preferential treatment towards, I would say, more arty products and nowadays more sustainable products, um, less less excited around consumer tech, more excited around really world-first, cool uh eco sustainable products these kind of products will get a much higher chance of hitting projects we love and if you hit projects we love as a tag you'll be featured on the homepage. you might get featured in the newsletter which is again a standalone newsletter for projects that we love campaigns so hmm. that's one angle but really you know the only thing that really matters other than that is just getting traction getting snowball effect because the algorithm will kick in and say this campaign has had thousands of hits it's got thousands of people visiting every, every every hour it has great pr it has great inbound backlinks it has you know traction it has backers it has backer numbers it has updates it has comments it has a community like people like this and so when the kickstarter algorithm sees that it obviously is going to recommend that to other people and so the Kickstarter algorithm works in the sense that it's always unique to the actual person that's logged in um, and of course they will see products similar to the things that they've interacted with and bought in the past. And so if you're a sustainable product, you want to get that snowball effect in the first couple of days, and then you'll get featured on the homepage of the kind of audience that you're looking for. And again, having that boost from Kickstarter is just invaluable. Um, And of course, to get that, you just need to be really, really strong in the first couple of days, which is, again, why the pre-campaign phase, the email building phase, the community building phase, the landing page phase, the advertising phase is so important. Because if you don't have that traction in the first couple of days, it's an uphill struggle to to just survive. And you're going to be lost in the ether of the rest of the campaigns. And it's, it's, it's like, you know, there is a massive upside to crowdfunding versus just Shopify because you have that audience. But if you don't perform and you don't get the traction, then you're not going to hit that audience. You're not going to get that kind of visibility. And it's a bit different with, with Indiegogo because Indiegogo actually does have a say on what the algorithm can, can do. It does allow you, it does allow you to get your product featured on the homepage. Indiegogo will, you know, will interact with you and say, we will feature your product on the homepage. It will say, we'll feature it in a newsletter. We'll do this and that, and we'll, you know, we'll we'll have traction pre-built for you. And so that's where the difference is. Um, And with Indiegogo, you know, it's about having the right connections. It's about having the right kind of product. And Indiegogo are really focused more on the, the fundraising side. They'll say, you know, the product is doing well, we will push that product because it will be more profitable. Whereas Kickstarter will say, if a product's doing well, we'll not necessarily push it because we want our platform to be as attractive as possible and have that kind of arty feel, have that kind of unique, world-first, sustainable and innovation kind of feel. Whereas Indiegogo will say, we want products that are going to be profitable. And so those are the two differences between the two platforms. Mm, mm, interesting. I never, ever you know, thought about it that way. Okay, um, those, those are... Crazy. Those are really, really nice tips. I have to say, um, this is a big question and it's in regards to community. You talk about building community on platform. How do you transition community off platform from, um, from Kickstarter or Indiegogo? Um, do they give email addresses? Could you give incentives for, you know, creating a Facebook group? Obviously they, they would want, they have internal, you know, communication and announcement, you know, um, boards for, 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 for security reasons, obviously you've, you've, you've used their, their platform to, to, to get pledges, you know, financial pledges from, from people. And so they, they want to actually, you know, keep the community on and keep communications on there so they could monitor it, you know, over a period of time. But how do you transition these people um, through to one-to-one communication, or do you fall back on that email list you built in pre-campaign? Yeah, I think it's an interesting one. I mean, that's something that is allowed on Kickstarter and Indiegogo. You're allowed to, you know, take your your, your backers, take the details. Something like Backerkit, which is a, again a platform that um, that is used generally to to upsell to backers after a campaign and to also collect the, the updated. Uh, uh, 
postal addresses, um, and also keep communications going with, with, with campaigners. That, that's kind of recommended. Um, you can also just provide updates to just the backers, which you can then communicate with. Um, but yeah, I mean, there, there is the ability to download those, those lists and to keep communications going. Um, one thing that we kind of recommend after a campaign, and again, you can either go directly onto Indiegogo and run the whole campaign through Indiegogo, or you can do the Kickstarter and then do an Indiegogo intermart, which basically mm. means that you can continue fundraising after the Kickstarter pay, uh, campaign is done, after the Indiegogo campaign is done. You can continue and have the interim phase where you continue pre-orders. It might be a little bit of a more expensive kind of uh, phase because you want to put the product price at a little bit higher than you had at the campaign just so you're not kind of annoying the backers that essentially, you know, got in at the earlier stage to get the best price. But you can still keep, you know, keep pre-orders going at, at a discounted rate and you can keep that going for six months, 12 months, whatever you like. In the interim period where you're developing your prototype and pushing that into actually getting your first batch uh, manufactured and logistically delivered, then you can have the in-demand running and keep the pre-orders coming in. And that's great because you get all that kind of uh, off-run traffic, you get all the kind of excess that, that, that the campaign built that is still coming through to the in-demand. And from that, you can then you know build out your Shopify at some point and then do the whole transition to Shopify. And that's where everything is kind of like handed off and you finish your crowdfunding kind of period and that is everything done. Then you go on to Shopify and again, continue pushing the product. You might have you know a manufacturing kind of a diary in, in mind where you kind of keep up with product demand. And then again, you build in all these other elements that we talked about, which is kind of retail and the Amazon and the FBA and all these other great things that, uh, that come after that. But yeah, that's the kind of product lifecycle for crowdfunding essentially. Amazing, amazing, Michael. Um, it's, yeah, I, I think you wouldn't have said it better. Um, final question is really around typical budgets, you know. So what do, you know, direct-to-consumer, just new ideas, what, what would it typically cost beyond just um, the, the the product, you know, research and development, people, you know, R&D for, for products? From a marketing standpoint, you know, what kind of, I know this is a very, very broad question, but but what should should founders, you know, set aside tens of thousands of pounds or dollars, you know, for, for, for marketing or um, what, what does it look like from your end? Yeah, so I guess this really comes down to the idea of cost per acquisition, cost per lead, cost per sale, which is all inbuilt into the advertising. And at the end of the day, the budget should really come down from the actual goal. So the campaign goal could either be to generate profit, it could be to generate sales, or it could, what most campaigns do is just to generate exposure. And so when you're looking at kind of corporate innovation campaigns, they could be spending, you know, anywhere up to 100% of the budget on customer acquisition costs at 100% of the product price, but it doesn't really matter because they're getting exposure, they're getting testing. And so they could run advertising to, uh, you know, a hundred thousand different clicks and, and 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 it could cost a hundred thousand dollars, but they're going to make a hundred thousand dollars worth of sales. Whereas startups and, and and smaller companies obviously want to focus on on profit or at least on exposure during the campaign, and so they look more at you know the actual ROI potential. So what we see with crowdfunding campaigns is to try and get like a kind of five x ROI. So if you put in like twenty thousand dollars, you can get a hundred thousand dollar campaign. And of mm. course, if you snowball and scale that up, you can have other different external um, factors to it. So you could say that, you know, PR will provide a certain uh, amount of funding. The platform itself will provide a certain amount of funding. Um, all these other elements, such as the digital advertising, the, the kind of pre-campaign will, will result in different types of ROI. But generally, like a five times is kind of what the what we kind of look to see from our clients. So, yeah, I would say kind of, you know, five times that from your goal and, and you'll probably see a, a kind of budget there. Incredible. Mike, uh, Michael, it's... You know, um, we could go on and on and on with this conversation, but I have to say it was, you know, particularly insightful um, in the area of the pre-campaign setup. Um, I learned also a bunch from um, the um, from from how to, you know, just effectively get to the front page of um, of um, Indiegogo and Kickstarter. And for people who are listening till now, obviously, you know, they're they're, they're still engaged and um, they 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 probably want to hear more about um, you know what what you, you know what, what, what Blazon does and new. Um, how can they reach out to you? Where where you most active on you know um, uh, uh, daytime? Um, yeah, it'd be great to to, to find out. 
Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, you can go to blazingagency.com. You can reach us at hello at blazingagency.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, also on Instagram at blazingagency, on Twitter at blazingagency, and myself at micrv on Twitter. So, yeah, a bunch of different channels to reach us out to on. Um, and yeah, definitely get in touch if you're looking to launch a product, if you're looking to launch a corporate innovation, if you're looking to launch D2C. Um, again, we're, we're particularly interested in that European D2C market, the sustainability D2C market, bringing products that have not previously existed, that are kind of big hits in California, big hits in New York, but just don't really exist in Europe. I want to see a lot more products like that doing great things in Europe. I think the, the gap in the market is, is huge. Um, mm. And so, yeah, I think there's definitely a potential there. So if you know anyone in your network who wants to get involved, definitely get in touch. And of course, anything to do with crowdfunding in Europe, you know, we're the experts, we're the number one. So get in touch uh, in that regard as well, for sure. An honor having you on here. And we hope to see a, a, a crowdfunded for, for, well, not crowdfunding, actually pre-sale for CPG, you know, Absolutely. after this um, episode. So thank you so much, Michael. Yes. Nice okay. Thank you so much, Kunle. Great to meet you as well. Bye-bye. <laughs>